0: I think over the last week and a half or so, as we've been navigating this global crisis, uh, what has been a remarkable, celebrated feature of this horrible tragedy is the courage and bravery of Ukrainian people, of the army in Ukraine, and especially President Zelensky. What we've seen are families who could have left and fled deciding, choosing to stay, choosing to be there. I've heard from countless people of churches where pastors literally would drop their kids off to a safety place, to a safe place, and then come back, open up their doors, and begin to serve their city. Dads who would drop their wife and kids off and come back home to now fight for their country's women, ladies, sisters who have no military experience at all, strapping on heavy machinery to say, What can I do to protect the freedom of our? Country. It's amazing when people stay to fight for what they really believe in. The world has been astounded by the courage of President Zelensky. Uh, president Zelensky was a comedian and an actor before he became the president in 2019. And he jokingly ran, not at all thinking he would win, but then won by 70% of the vote. You may or may not know this, but he's Jewish. And his grandfather and his grandfather's family were all part of when the Nazis invaded uh, Ukraine back in 1941. And in that invasion, President Zelensky's grandfather and family stood up and fought for their freedom. Everyone but his grandfather and his family died in that battle. All of his his great-granddad and all of his grandfather's siblings died in that invasion back in 1941. So President Zelensky comes from this long lineage of people who have chosen to stay in the crisis when they could have left. I think this is what has given him the framework of boldness and courage to stay in the story of pain and crisis. At the beginning of this war, as the world expected and uh, assumed that this president and all of his uh, advisors would leave the country, there he was standing in pr- front of the presidency building. Saying, we're here, and we're not leaving. We're here to stay. A few weeks ago, when President Biden offered to evacuate President Zelensky, he made the greatest statement, I think, of, of his century. I, I, know, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. The fight is here. Give me some more ammo. That's what I need. That's amazing, isn't it? People in Ukraine, everyday ordinary people, are digging their heels in because they believe in what they're fighting for and who they are fighting for. Uh, That caused me to think, if I was in their shoes, what would my response be? Would I stay or would I leave? If you were in that situation today, what would your response be to the point of crisis and the pain that these people are going through? I got to tell you, uh, uh, confrontation is not my forte. I would avoid it if I could. I don't even like awkward silences. Like I'll do whatever it takes to fill in awkward silences. I'll ask about your grandma, even if you don't have one, just to (laughs) say something. There's something in us that wants to escape issues and problems and wants to get out of an awkward moment or hard moments. But I've come to realize that courageous leadership is actually not about exiting the problem or trying to solve it so quickly that often courageous leadership is staying in the sadness, living in the tension, sitting in the sadness, living in the tension, staying in the story. Courageous leadership is often about finding peace and calm, not outside of the crisis, but right in the middle of it, setting up camp and saying, I'm staying in the story, I'm not leaving the tension that's around me. And this is how the person Ruth emerges in the book of Ruth. Ruth is given an option to stay or leave the story of the crisis that she is in. She can be evacuated out of turmoil and pain and agony and removed and lifted and placed into greener pastures of security and comfort. She can take a way out and escape the crisis of her day. But when given the opportunity to leave, she stays. She digs her heels in, literally her heels if she had heels then, but she stays. I'm not leaving, I'm staying in the story. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. This point in the book of Ruth, this point in the story of Ruth intersects your life if you feel called to a certain struggle, but it's hard, it's painful. And maybe in the midst of that struggle because it's been difficult, there is a temptation to leave the story. You know, God's placed you there, but it's hard and painful. It, it, your story may be a person that God has called you to, it may be a ministry God has laid on your heart, it may be a career where you see God at work and you know you're supposed to be there, it may be a dream that God's placed in your heart, a people you're leading, a ministry that you're a part of, and things are hard and it's difficult. There is a temptation to leave the story. Maybe you're on a journey of faith and things haven't worked out the way you imagined and you're wondering like Naomi, the goodness of God, and you are tempted to abandon faith, to abandon God, to leave it all and to walk away. Maybe it's the pain, it's a crisis that's kept you from God and you're wondering, if there is a good God, how could all these things that are horrible happen in the world? And human common sense and our logic would advise us to leave the story of pain and crisis but today through Ruth we're invited to listen to the voice of the spirit that actually challenges us to stay to set up camp to be a part of the pain even and saying God what are you doing I want to stay faithful and today the spirit is calling us and equipping us to stay in the story Last week, we opened up Ruth chapter 1, and we began to realize the complexity of the pain of Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. The story began in the time of the judges. It was a time of corruption and great idolatry, and then a famine struck. So Elimelech and his family are leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab, the last place they thought they would ever be in. But over the last 10 years, Elimelech has died, and both of his sons have died, leaving behind Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. But they get word that God has paid attention to the condition of his people, that God has paid attention to his people, and now they decide to set on a journey of about seven to ten days on foot where they will go from Moab back home to Bethlehem. And on this journey, as they're about to cross the border of perhaps Moab into Judah and go on to Bethlehem, Naomi stops the walk. She stops the journey, and she has a defining conversation with Ruth and Orpah. And this is a conversation that will change their life. So let's take a look at this conversation. And what you'll find in this conversation is Naomi laying out all of the reasons why Ruth and Orpah both should leave the story, why they should exit the story. Ruth 1, verse 8 onwards, reads like this. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. They said to each other, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? The next verse. And now, am I able... To have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. What a conversation from Naomi to her daughters in law Naomi truly believes that God's hand has turned against her and therefore she will now be the cause of disfavor and crisis for Orpah and for Ruth. So she lays out a pretty intricate argument of why they need to exit the story, why they need to leave the story. Ancient Israel practiced what we call leveret marriage, where if your husband died and you were left a widow, then you, by practice, tradition, could marry the sibling of that husband, and if they didn't have a sibling, the closest relative to that husband. And you would go down the line and marry the closest relative to the husband, and that sort of backs up what we said last week, that in this time period that we're reading in, Literally to be a widow, meant to be without hope, to not have a husband, meant to not have hope. So your hope for provision and security was to, to be married in those days. And here, Naomi wants to do what's right for Ruth and Orpah. She wants to provide for them, but she knows she has no more sons And they've been in Moab where she has no relative. And even if they came back to Bethlehem with Naomi, they're going to be foreigners. And no men in Israel are going to marry a Moabite according to her thought. So she blesses them and she prays a blessing on them and says, Please, go back to Moab. Go back to your own God, to your own people. And find rest and security. She prays God's kindness on them. It's the word hesed. She says, I'm praying that God will be loving and faithful to you, so please go back home. It's interesting that although she's praying God's kindness on them, she is releasing them back to Moabite gods. It's as if she's praying God's favor on them, but really doesn't believe that staying under Yahweh's covering is the best for them. So she's hoping that they could turn back to their Moabite gods and find some sense of favor. Or and Ruth protests and they insist on staying, but Ruth, but, but Naomi says, "No, no, 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 you have to do what's logical. You have to do what's right for you, and what's right for you is to leave and go back home to your mother's house, to find rest, to find a husband, to find security. I've got nothing to give you. I wish I could take care of you. and you've been amazing to me. You've been so kind to both the dead and to me, but what's reasonable and sensible for you is to go back home and leave the story. So it's decision time. And what is it that they do? Verse 14, what does Ruth and Orpah do? Again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. I think for a long time, we've kind of given a bad rap to, Naomi- uh, to Orpah. But I-, I want to help you understand today that actually what Orpah did was totally logical. And according to custom of that day, what she did would have been right. She is doing what Naomi is asking her to do. She is doing what's sensible. She loves Naomi. She's walked with Naomi for 10 years. And even at the first or second request of Naomi asking Orpah to leave, it's Orpah that wants to stay and stay with Naomi. But she eventually gives into Naomi's persuasion and agrees with Naomi. Okay, fine. I believe that what you are recommending is right for me. I don't want to leave, but I'll do what makes sense. And what may even be logical, she loves Naomi. But she's having to choose what's reasonable and what makes logical sense. She's not a bad person. She's just doing what's rationally right in her mind. Orpah is a realist. She's a pragmatist. In fact, on most days, you and I are more like Orpah than we are Ruth, aren't we? Yeah, we weigh out our risk ratios, we do a cost-benefit analysis, and we often make decisions and choices that are to our benefit, to our security, and to our safety. We do what's logical. We choose common sense. I'll prove it to you. If your employer, Monday morning, tomorrow, tells you, we love you, but we can't pay you, I'm imagining you're going to look for a new job, right? I don't think you're going to go to your employer and say, you know what, I don't need to get paid. I'm good. I love my job. I'll do this for free. That would be amazing. But most of us in the room, we're thinking about mouths to feed and a family to take care of and our our IRAs and our 401ks. We're wanting to provide and logically we take steps just like Orpah did. What can we do that's reasonable and sensible? Orpah decides that for her, it is to go back to Moab and to remarry so that she can have a way of providing for her family. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Orpah made a rational, reasonable decision, but Ruth makes an irrational, radical, faith-filled decision to stay in the story. To any of the original readers, this would have made no sense. Really? She stayed with a widow going to a foreign place? How in the world could she have stayed? She chose to stay. The writer of Ruth puts these two women and their decisions in the same sentence not to put Naomi, not to put Orpah down, but to elevate Ruth to a level of bravery and courage that we could have never imagined. Orpah did what was rational and logical, but Ruth here makes a faith-filled decisions. She does something so radical and so crazy, it places her in a different category that's beyond human logic and human sense. She clung to Naomi. The decision in the middle of the road for Orpah and Ruth is... Do we go back home, to family, to our people? Do we do what gives security and comfort to us? Or do we go to Bethlehem and remain empty forever? Which do we choose? Do we follow reason? Or do we follow faith? And really, I think the decision, if you read the whole story in context, and as we get to the next few chapters, what we realize is this is the decision that Ruth and Naomi, I'm sorry, that Ruth and Orpah are making Will we choose Yahweh plus nothing in Bethlehem, or everything minus Yahweh in Moab? This is the cross-section of decisions. Will we choose God plus nothing, Yahweh plus nothing in Bethlehem, or everything minus Yahweh in Moab? Orpah chose the latter. She chose everything minus Yahweh in Moab. There she could remarry, could have another husband, could get back to her mom's house and her father's house, and she could get back to familiarity. She could have more security. Everything minus Yahweh in Moab. But Ruth, by way of faith, not by way of reason, chooses Yahweh plus nothing in Bethlehem. I don't need security. I don't need another husband willing to remain a widow, remain childless and barren, but I want to follow God. I want to cling to Naomi. The word cling in the Hebrew there is the same word in Genesis 2 that talks about a man leaving his father and mother and clinging, holding fast to his wife. It's the same word that all across the Old Testament God uses to invite his people to cling to him, to hold fast to Yahweh, to God. This word for cling is a covenantal word that expresses commitment and permanence. And here in this moment, as Ruth clings to Naomi, she is entering into a covenant with Naomi and with the God of Naomi. Naomi, as Ruth is clinging to her pleats one more time, my daughter-in-law, Ruth, follow your sister back to Moab. Go back to your people and take up your gods. You still have a chance. Go back to Moab with Orpah. But notice a statement of devotion and covenant from Ruth. And you probably have heard this passage. Look at what Ruth's response to Naomi's last pleading with her. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Forever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Naomi literally was left speechless at the words of commitment by Ruth to stay in the story, to not leave, but to stay clinging on to Naomi. She didn't even know what else to say. It's profound what's happening in this conversation. There are several beautiful, deep things that Ruth is saying in this moment. But first and foremost, Ruth is clinging to Naomi because she has enough faith to cling to the God of Naomi. She's entering into this covenant with Naomi's God, with God's people, with God's nation. It's amazing that in the last 10 years, it was Naomi who had incredible faith. But in the moment of Naomi's pain, she's caught in despair. But in the moment of Ruth's pain, she is growing in confident trust, the God of the Bible. It's fascinating that here, the outsider converges into the story of God and expresses faith while the insider is teetering in sadness and despair. Ruth's words are profound. They're entering into a covenant with God. Usually in the Old Testament, when God enters a covenant, he says to the people, I will be your God and you will be my people. But Ruth has enough faith that initiates this response, saying to Naomi, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. What Ruth is doing in these words is to renounce all of her Moabite gods that she grew up worshiping and knowing and the traditions she held onto as a Moabite. And she is forsaking all that is familiar, all of the idols of her life that she can easily run to, that are comfortable, that are, that are, that are, that are provided, she thinks, in the past. She's turning away and she's looking to God, to Yahweh, saying, I choose you. In the midst of my pain, I'm gonna follow you. This is Radical this kind of conversion didn't happen in the old testament your god that you worship was so intertwined with your ethnic your ethnic identity that who you were as a person was intertwined with the god you worship so a moabite always remained a moabite you weren't allowed to change gods so what's happening in this moment for ruth isn't just a spiritual conversion it's a conversion of our entire identity i worship God, his people, my people, I'm going to Bethlehem. That will be my home. I'm allowing the God of the Bible to change me from the inside out, not just superficially, not just for a season, but totally to transform me. This is the covenant that Ruth is entering into. I'm choosing the God of the Bible. Ruth makes a tremendous leap of faith. But this leap of faith that Ruth makes is not a leap of faith she makes in the dark. It's a leap of faith she makes in the light. Because I think for the last 10 years, Naomi has been sharing story after story of God's provision for Israel. I imagine Ruth has heard the story of the exodus and how God provided in the wilderness and how he rescued the Israelites from all of their enemies, even Egypt, and how God came through for them and provided and became the bread of life for his people. Ruth has heard countless stories of what God has done, even as we sang about just a few moments ago. And now in this cross-section of decision, she's thinking to herself, I want to follow the same God that I've heard from Naomi. I want to follow him. And here, Naomi is weakened by her pain, and she's finding it difficult to have confidence in God, but it's the stories from Naomi and those like her that have rekindled faith in Ruth, allowing her to take a leap of faith in the light, knowing that if God came through for your ancestors, I believe God will come through for us. He will be faithful, and he will be good. All these years, but Naomi, faith has rubbed off on Ruth. Let me pause to just ask you, or to tell you that people who don't know God know you. People who do not know God know you. They know you at work. They know you in the little league leagues that you're in. They know you in your neighborhood. They know you wherever you are, wherever you rub shoulders with. The people who don't know God know you. So what are they learning about God from you? Does the way I live, the way I live and interact with the world around me, does it make people want to follow the God I follow? Is faith rubbing off, is kindness rubbing off, is grace rubbing off of me in such a way that it creates such deep curiosity to say, I want that, whatever you have is something I need. Does my life build faith or does it hinder faith? Naomi, yes, she's in a moment of need, but the last 10 years, she's walked with Ruth. Ruth has been able to live under the stories of God's faithfulness, so that even in this moment where Naomi may not have this great sense of faith, Ruth can tell her, I'm believing with you and for you. I'm staying in the story. Ruth's words here are pretty amazing because she is committing to follow the God of Naomi, the people of Naomi. Not just until Naomi dies, but until Ruth herself dies. Like it would have been gracious for Ruth to say, I'll come back to Bethlehem until you die. And then I'll come back to Moab. That's not what she's saying. She says, I will be buried where you are buried. This is the level of her faith. She's saying, long after even you are gone, Naomi, I'm gonna stay committed to God. I'm going to say committed to his people. I want to be a part of his story forever. I'm not leaving when you leave until death takes me away. I'm committing to follow God even in widowhood, even in barrenness. I'm committing to be a part of God's story. I'm choosing to stay in the story for the rest of my life. What audacious faith, what boldness she has. As I was thinking about this story and as we come to a close, I just thought about three things that I want to leave with you. Just encouragement. Maybe you're in the midst of pain and it's been difficult. Here's what I think Ruth will teach us today. First of all, stay in the story with God. Stay in the story with God. And I don't know what your pain has been. I don't know what diagnosis you've received. I don't know what your job situation, your family situation, your marriage situation has been. But maybe in the midst of all that you're going through, there is a tendency to choose reason and logic and common sense and step away from faith. To, to, to step away from following Jesus and to turn to greener pastures or idols of Moab in some form or fashion. There may be a tendency to trust your human knowledge and the advocacies around you that are telling you to follow human wisdom. But Ruth will teach us stay in the story with God. It's worth staying in his story. Whatever you have to give up, choose Jesus plus nothing, not everything minus Jesus. Choose Jesus every single day because he has eternally chosen you. He has called you, saved you every single day in the midst of pain, in the midst of a war, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of sickness. Jesus plus nothing is enough. It's more than enough. Stay in the story with God. You may be listening to common sense, but what is the spirit sense? What's the Holy Spirit saying? What's he whispering? Maybe it's so different than what you ever imagined it to be. But if God is speaking, listen to him. Maybe you don't see the end of the story. Ruth did not see chapter four and chapter one. She had no idea what this one decision of faith would lead to, that we'd still be talking about her 3,000 years later. But she saw the next right thing, the next step of faith, the next step of courage And she took a leap of faith in the light. What does tomorrow look like? What does now the next step for you look like to follow God in the story? Without seeing the staircase, could you take the first step? And then the second step, that his word will be light unto your feet, a lamp unto your feet. Stay in the story with God. You won't regret it. The second thing that I think Ruth teaches us is stay in the story with God's people with people. Ruth needed Naomi, and now Naomi needed Ruth. Ruth has gleaned the stories of God's faithfulness from Naomi over the last decade. But now, in the moment of Naomi's weakness, Ruth is able to cling to her, to hold to her, and say, I know you don't have faith, I know you don't see the end of it, but I'm with you. I'm hoping for you, I'm believing for you, and with you. This is the beauty of covenant relationships, of the body of Christ being so linked together. Because there are going to be moments where I need you and maybe you need me and you need the person next to you and you need a small group and a support group. Stay in the story with people. Please do not leave. live isolated lives. So thankful for all of you who are with us online and joining us all around the country. We're so grateful but asking you if you're living an isolated life, please join with the body of Christ in any way. Enter into relationships. Be around people. Stay in the story with God's people. There is something that's uplifted in my soul when I hear the singing of God's church. When I see you serving in your gifts and offering your lives unto God. Builds my faith. Stay in the story with people. Michelle Harrell is an amazing pastor on our staff, and she leads our counseling and care ministry. I just want you to know there are people who will cling to you like Ruth clung to Naomi. Maybe in the season of your life, you don't have the faith to cling and to reach out and to hold on to somebody. But there is someone at Bentry who will cling to you when you can't cling to them. And that's what makes the body so Beautiful. Even when you can't take the first step, someone will walk alongside of you, walk with you through the grief, through the loss, through the divorce, through anxiety and mental illness and depression. Whatever you're going through, name it. We want to walk with you. And I'm praying today that if you're going through an incredible season of pain, that you would just have enough faith to do one thing. Send an email, okay? Send an email to pastorsatbentree.org. That's all I'm asking you. Just write a quick little text email. And we want to walk with you. Michelle and her team, we would love to walk alongside of you. Meet us in the Welcome Center if you're in the room. Don't walk alone in the dark. Walk and stay in the story of God with the people of God. Ruth has no idea what's coming, but I think what she realizes is that we can stay in the story because God always writes a good ending. She doesn't know what chapter 4 will look like. But we do, and we read the end of the book. Christ wins. It's hard to see in the midst of brokenness and evil in the world, but walking with Jesus is worth it because God always writes a good ending. You may have to go through pain and suffering, and I'm not saying those things will remove itself. But at the end of the day, we know how the story ends. There will be no more death. No more sickness, no more pain. Injustice and wickedness are blotted out of our very vocabulary. Christ will reign supreme. He will right every wrong. He will bring every dictator to his knees. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is a good ending to the story you're walking in. There is a good ending. All things do work together. For the good of those who are called according to his purpose. I love how the writer of Hebrews encourages us to stay in the story. And in his words, to stay in the race. Don't give up the race. Don't give up the story. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses... Surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Another word for that is clinging to us, the weight that clings to us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 has laid out all of the amazing heroes of faith, and he says, You're not alone in your story. There is a large cloud of witness surrounding you, and Ruth is a part of that cloud of witness. There is a large cloud of witnesses who are saying, I went through pain and I stayed in the story. I went through loneliness and I stayed in the story. I was fed to the lions and I stayed in the story. In life or death, I stayed in the story. And right now, there is a massive cheering squad invisible to us. But there is a cloud of witnesses that are saying, stay in the story. Don't give up your faith. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. A cloud of witnesses that are saying to you and I, you can stay in the story. The writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every hindrance and sin. Usually we identify the sin, but there are also hindrances. Things that are not sinful, but they're not helpful either. Morally neutral things that are weight, that distract us in the stories, that weigh us down. And he's saying, don't cling to anything but Jesus. Lay aside every weight. And how is it that we follow Jesus in the story? We keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus who endured the cross. We can stay in the story of God because Jesus stayed in our story. Jesus stayed in our story by staying on the cross. Jesus could have gotten out. He could have found, he could have tried to take himself out of the equation, but he didn't. He stayed on the cross. Therefore, he stayed in your story. And during the shame, the humiliation, the crucifixion, the agony, he thought of you and said, You're worth it. So I'm staying in the story so that you could have freedom. You could be forgiven. You could be brought near to God. The only way we stay in the story is looking at Jesus. Who writes our story, who's committed to us. Long before Ruth was committed to God, God was committed to her. And even today, if your commitment is waxing and waning, you've got an author of your faith, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. He is Jesus. He stayed in the story for you in the midst of pain and invites you in the midst of your pain to stay with him. He walks with you, he walks with you. So I'm asking you today, take a leap of faith, but not a leap of faith in the dark, but a leap of faith in the light. God has revealed himself to you in the scriptures. He has revealed his faithfulness. So today, for just a moment, could you peer away from the current reality that has torn down your confidence in God and you peer into the scroll of God's faithfulness across history? Just take a moment to gaze in your own heart at the scroll of God's faithfulness, His steadfast love across the ages. Josh Spurgeon would say, I've learned to kiss the waves that have thrown me against the rock of ages because the pain of your life brings you to your knees so dependent on Him. Thank God, I need you to walk with me. Let's pray. Father, we put our eyes on you looking at God's story across the universe, across the scripture, and how God has revealed himself in Jesus, we see the long track record of your faithfulness. So we embrace it, we welcome the pain, because the ways of this life throw us onto the rock of ages. Give us courage, as you're giving courage every day to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine to fight for what they believe is worthy of their life. And every single day, may we choose Jesus plus nothing. That's enough. So we thank you for an incredible story of Ruth, her conviction, her boldness, that even in that moment, your spirit was at work, forming courage in her. May the same spirit be at work in us today. and Allow us to stay in the story that you are writing. Help us to see what you see. Hear what you're saying. Join the cloud of witnesses, enduring in this race. Sickness or in death, you will be our God forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for his word today? Amen. Thank you, church family, for joining us today. And if you are new here today, if this is your first time or you've been a guest at Bentry, this is an amazing Sunday for you to join us for worship. Right after the service, to my left, your right, through these doors, you'll find our guests gathered. It gets right next to the prayer room. And I hope that if you're a guest today, you will spend just a couple of minutes meeting some of our leaders and getting to know a little bit more about our church. Online community, we're so grateful that you've been a part of this service. We invite you to take your next step, whatever that might be, If today you need to make a step of faith, join us in the prayer room. You need to be a part of this church. We welcome, please, join one of our groups if you have yet to find people in your circle to do life with. God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you next week.